Welcome, welcome to Game Over Juniors. This is not what we expected it to be, but this is the end of it, obviously. I'm going to welcome in my esteemed panel of guests right away. We had to create a new layout because I'm bringing in all of them. We got Mitch Brown, Lauren Kelly, and Tony Ferrari. Tournament's over. <laughs> a little bit premature. We only got about uh, an average of two games per team. I think nobody played over two games, I don't think. So it's a, it's a rough one, but... Uh, I think the right call was made in the end. They had to do this. Five extra positive cases today. Uh, it clearly would have got out of control. Um, full disclosure, I tested positive yesterday. So I'm isolating my basement away from my wife and kids. Full-on basement blogger over here. For once, I'm actually what the stereotype is. But uh, yeah, so opening thoughts. I think we'll start off on a lighter note a little bit today. Just because we're going to get into some heavier topics, but uh, impressions from the tournament from our esteemed scouts here. Did anybody stand out more than you thought they would? Huge caveat that it was only two games. I think the first player that comes to mind for me is Ridley Gregg. So Ridley Gregg, late first round pick of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he was arguably one of Canada's best players. Uh, this was a new version of him. He was more disciplined, not just in terms of well, not continuing his parade to the penalty box. He didn't take a single minor, but also with the puck. He wasn't just trying to dangle through everyone and race to the net. He was playing a much more patient, give-and-go game, exchanging with his teammates while reading off of them. And he was rewarded with what was a phenomenal game against Austria. I don't know if we talked about that, but he might have been Canada's second-best player after Cole Perfetti in that one. Yeah, I think for me, the, the guy that kind of stood out that – I, I don't know if I expected him to or not, but it was Brad Lambert for the Finns. He he played really, really well. He was constantly creating and, and some of the concerns about his vision and everything, I think were, I mean, it was again, it was two games. So you can't really say the concerns that some people had are, are gone, but it, it showed that at the junior level, he's still the player we all thought he kind of was. And he produced at a high rate and man, like you watch him play and, and he was the best Finn on the ice for most nights outside of Billy Koivinen probably. Yeah, uh, I was just just trying to think. Um, those are obviously two that stood out to me as well. But I liked Dylan Gun uh, Dylan Gunther's game a lot. I felt like at times he didn't deserve to be on the fourth line or the thirteenth forward for Team Canada. Like at the beginning of the Austria game, he was probably their their best forward as far as making an immediate impact, uh, especially when Austria was proving to be a little bit more of uh, not as much of a pushover as maybe Canada had expected. And I also liked Servak Petrovsky on Slovakia. I think his name sort of gets lost when we talk about all the 2004 born Slovak draft eligibles for the NHL this year. And I just thought he brought a really strong two way game, uh, good on both special teams. And I liked what I saw from him and nothing to do with gameplay, but the one who stood out to me was clearly Ivan, Ivan, the absolute <laughs> legend. All we'll right. Until so next year when we get Marcel, Marcel with him, that's going to be fantastic. You got to do more of this, uh, the, the crazy names. I know that we have like the crazy WHL draft every year and that's always fun, but there's more names out there outside the WHL, and they're fantastic. Um, one of the things that I've been looking at for this tournament, staying trying to be in the positive a little bit here, is uh, I talked with Mitch a little bit before everyone uh, showed up for the show. Connor Bedard, right? The huge final game of the tournament for him. Yes, it was against Austria, but for the detractors that he has, which likely are because of size alone, do you think this showing in the tournament, pushing himself up immediately from 13th forward into Canada's most dynamic player outside of maybe Cole Perfetti. Does that push his draft stock up to like clear number one, nobody's going to challenge him territory, or is he still fighting with uh, Mitchkoff and others? 
Well, I think the the first thing is Mitchkov is always going to be at a disadvantage because of his KHL contract. So there is a chance that Mitchkov doesn't even go second, depending on the circumstances of this. Like Adam Fantilli is a totally unique player. While he's very inefficient, he's a power winger. He's equally as likely to pound the puck into the back of your net as he is to run you into the board. So this is a guy that NHL teams are going to value highly. I think Bedard's more dynamic. I think his game is more projectable to the NHL in terms of high level, high end offensive upside. Uh, I still think that there will be some argument going forward. Now the question is, is it going to be a McDavid versus Eichel debate or is it going to be the Matthews line A one where it seems close at first, but when you really start getting into the specifics, one player is clearly ahead of the other and then time proves that correct. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with Mitch there. I think while Mitch is going to challenge, and I think Fantilli deserves to be in that conversation as well. I think Bedard just has that game-breaking ability that so many teams look look for, and I think he's going to be the number one favorite going forward. And, but like he said, I think I think we're going to have there's always a debate. We have a debate every single year, basically whether whether the prospects high end or not. And I mean, even going in last year, I think last year, weirdly enough, was one of the most sure-fired Owen Power is going to be the first overall guy in, in a while. So I think we're going to get a, a Matthews line, a type debate where we go, yeah, there's this debate, but does it really matter? Cause I it probably won't. Yeah. yeah. I think if you look at some of the other prospects that are available in 2023, like, you know, Quinton Muskie's a name that's been thrown around Riley height, Braden Yeager. Uh, now no one's really had the same level of exposure as Bedard has at least for the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, right now, obviously Bedard, we all, believe is going first but you know it'd be interesting to see what happens next year and if any of these guys can establish themselves into you know because they're maybe a couple of tiers below as far as Bedard and Mitchkov are but if they can elevate their game next season I think the big thing right is there are so many guys in that 2023 group who can close the gap right and we haven't even talked about Dalibor Dvorsky who could very well end up in who, who could very well end up in this top four discussion uh, this is a draft where, you know, Braden Yeager uh, might not end up being a top five guy. And I think he's over a point per game as a 16 year old in the WHL. Like the, these are, this could be a phenomenal draft class. I still think Bedard's number one. He's the most dynamic player that I've seen since Connor, since Connor McDavid, of course, you know, Matthews, but Matthews is a very different player now than he was when he was drafted. He underwent one of the biggest post-draft changes ever really I think that I've seen so it's it'll be interesting but it, everyone's chasing Bedard and Bedard just like he does what elite players do he just keeps improving he just keeps elevating his game and when you keep doing that no one is going to catch you yeah I was going to say to Mitch's point too about next year's draft being so deep and there's so much talent I think that's kind of what we all expected in this year's draft and we've kind of realized okay maybe this year's draft is a is a step down from what we thought but next year Really, like he said, Jagger, Fantilli, Dvorsky, like there's so many guys that could get in this conversation for those top three picks that I think realistically, like next year you could be picking a guy at eight that most most teams would be like, oh, that's a solid top three pick next year. It's a really exciting draft in 2023. It's uh, going to be interesting to see how many teams at the trade deadline in the NHL start trading away or trading, trying to trade for 2023 first round picks instead of 2022 first round picks because I, I to me it's always a better bet when you're trading with a contender to try to go for a pick not that year right because you know that draft pick is not going to be very good maybe just hope they'll fall apart right and trade for with a team like uh 
I don't know, say Pittsburgh, that uh, their stars are aging and maybe things could fall off the rails next year, even though they lost almost all their stars to begin this year and played spectacularly well. So maybe it's a bad example. But uh, now to get into the more depressing stuff, obviously the tournament's been canceled. It was not bubbled, which was clearly a massive mistake. And uh, Luke Tardif kind of defended that when he talked to TSN, saying, like, this is what the teams wanted. But at the same time, both the IIHF and the government government of Alberta had a responsibility and Hockey Canada uh, to protect these kids because, like, frankly, that's what they are. They're kids. And Omicron was very clearly an issue heading into this. And, you know, it's easy to say it's only, it was only four cases at the time. Now five more added today. And maybe they could have battled through it, but this isn't the NHL where these players are getting paid NHL salaries and it's worth the risk for them, even though they still want to play, obviously, because they're hockey players. I think one thing that I have in my head from this whole debacle is I'm looking at it from the perspective of I've taken essentially no risks. My only major exposure for almost two years now has been like my kids go to daycare, right? So I assume that's where... I was exposed, but both my kids are testing negative. So it's like, you want to say you should have been in a bubble. There should have been no fans in the building. And all those people do deserve some level of blame for how quickly this fell apart. But I'm wondering now if no matter what they did, we'd still be in this situation. And the right approach wasn't to postpone everything before it happened in the first place. Well, if if they did have cases and they were in a bubble, we would have had a different outcome on the tournament, right? They could have just done what they did last year when they had cases. They Everyone had separate rooms. They were all in a hotel together with teams on separate floors. And so it was a lot easier to just isolate and move forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the real question, of course, is uh, <laughs> how we ended up here rather than was it the right call to cancel it, right? It's more about the failures of the IIHF of Alberta, as someone who lives in Alberta, the continued failures of Alberta, and also Hockey Canada. Yeah, I think the big thing I took away when I was in the media availability yesterday is I asked Luke Tardif directly, I'm like, did you guys consider bubbling up before the tournament? Is As you guys seen the run-up to the tournament, everything was kind of going crazy with Omicron and everything. And both him, Scott Smith, and the IHF medical uh, advisor all said that they, there was no plan to bubble. They, they, they had no no hesitation on not bubbling. And, and to me, that blew me away because you saw the success it had last year. And, and even though you kind of shortchanged yourself in time this year with not planning to bubble up, December 1st, everyone knew what was going on with Omicron. Everyone knew what was happening. And that was before any teams flew in. So you had that time to go, let's throw this emergency bubble in, into effect that we've, we have experience on doing last year. But at the end of the day, they didn't do that. They had weddings at the hotels. They had other guests and patrons sharing elevators and everything. And to be completely honest, it was just negligent on both Hockey Canada, the government of Alberta, and, and the IIHF. All, all three take the blame there. It is yeah, absolutely wild. I, Go ahead, Lauren. I don't have Sorry. anything to add to that. I think Mitch and Tony covered it. <laughs> yeah, I, it blows my mind that there are weddings taking place at the hotels. Like... I wanted I, I wanted to follow up on my question, but I didn't get a chance. And I, I was going to like half-heartedly ask, like, did any of you guys attend the weddings? Is that how it got spread? Because at, at this at this point, I wouldn't be shocked. They took no precautions on, on this thing. It's it's hard to believe. And you know, they, they're talking about how they did take precautions, but like you know, if you're 
Hockey Canada or the WIHF, are you even in a situation where you can be upset at the hotel for hosting weddings when, like, shouldn't that have been part of the agreement that you signed to have these kids stay there? Like, shouldn't you have had a whole hotel for, like, all of the teams, like, each one on a different floor kind of thing? Like, it's, I mean, it's very easy seeing what's happened to look back and point out the issues, but I feel like a lot of these issues probably should have been easy to see from the get-go. Yeah, I think the, the one thing that kind of blew me away yesterday when I was talking to them is they were like, well, teams already thought the restrictions we had in place were, were too much. But with that said, we're seeing the Finnish coach come out and we're seeing uh, Stefan Lakoci, the, the Slovak goaltender, come out today and, and completely criticize the way things were run and say that this wasn't a COVID problem. This was a poorly run tournament problem. So if that's the case, then I don't see why there was team like, who, who was it saying that this, the restrictions were too much? Who was it kind of calling that out? Because at the end of the day, if it was one team, screw that one team. You, you take care of the entire tournament. That's your job. And they, they didn't do that. Yeah, absolutely. I find there's like, I, I understand, you know, we've all been living through this situation for, geez, it's been like, what, 21 months now? Heading into yeah. March 2022. It'll be two years. It's frustrating. I get it. I mean, I don't love wearing a mask everywhere. I don't like outside of this. I've been wearing a mask in my own home now the last couple of days. You know, it's uh, it sucks. It's I it's isolating. It's like sad and nobody likes living in a bubble. But if the IHF is so insistent on this tournament taking place when they've canceled everything else because this is one of their big money makers, I just don't understand how they wouldn't take every single possible precaution. And it's very clear that they didn't and whether a team is complaining or not, like, are you the boss or are you the boss? All right. So, uh, the IIHF also said that they want to continue this tournament at a later date. Um, they hinted at possibly a month from now and they hinted at possibly June. Now, it seems like June is a little bit more likely, then it'll compete, of course, with the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is unfortunate. But by June, usually there's fewer games, so might not be that big of a deal. Uh, not a lot of talk about continuing the other tournaments that they did cancel. So there's a lot of talk right now about, uh, I, I believe Luke Tardif basically said, wait until the end of next year and then judge them. But is it really fair to ask for a year's postponed judgment over now two years of canceled tournaments for young women's hockey? Just a weird way of framing it too. Like we can, we can judge decisions whenever we want to judge them. That's part of being a society. You can criticize something at the time before, after whatever, doesn't really, doesn't really matter whether you're right or wrong will be will be determined by time but it also doesn't change the fact that the IIHF put a ton of money into this very uh clearly poorly thought out tournament and then now they're going to have to put even more money in to kind of bring it back to life later on in the summer money that could have been put towards hmm, i don't know the tournaments that they postponed yeah i think the one thing that that i took away from the media availability yesterday with when that was addressed with the women's under 18 specifically being brought up 
was he was like, well, we're going to we're going to try to get all these tournaments going. We want to make sure there's a quality from the higher levels to the lower levels and everything in between, including the women's event. This isn't because we hate women, blah, blah, blah. And then immediately brought up, well, we're going to try to get the world juniors going and, and then kind of almost like threw it kind of in there as like, because I have to also say the women's under 18 is going to be something that we're looking at rescheduling as well. So they're saying some of the right things with like really poor tone and everything, but it's not believable at this point. Like I, we, we kind of need to see action on this and they said, Oh, we, we need a month with the world juniors. Well, we're kind of getting that now with the women's world under 18s. You've told us for a while that it's not happening. Show us some plan in place or something that to say, Hey, we at least have the intention of getting this going in May or June, whenever, like it, it's, I don't know. It, to me, it's completely neglectful of the women's game. Yeah, I think it's the fact that it's been two years in a row also makes yep. it harder to believe, right? Because there's been essentially no action from last year. So postpone makes more sense than cancellation, of course. And, you know, this, like the world we live in now is unpredictable. But at a certain point, you do have to have some sort of transparency. And I think that's part of the problem, too, is one of the things they kept saying yesterday was, oh, we're saying cancellation, but that's just because that's what we have to do to alter the event in the future. And I'm like, OK, this is some like weird linguistic gymnastics that you're doing. Like, you can't just say cancellation. Like the word postponement exists for this exact purpose. So why not use the word you mean? And at the end of the day, I think this is just the way of saying cancellation so that if they don't get the chance to bring it back or they don't try to bring it back, then they don't get blamed for it. Yeah, I'm with you there, Tony. I feel like that whole language situation is 100% covering their butts. So, unfortunate. Um, does anyone believe that they can fix this situation and get it going for like more than just the World Juniors that they're actually intending to get other tournaments going? I, I, I think, think the silence, says says yeah, the silence yeah. is deafening there. <clears throat> Apologies. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this stupid thing. All right, so uh, we also have to talk about a few things that were tried to, or that were attempted to be snuck in during this whole situation because uh, the OHL tried to pull a sneaky on everyone while the World Junior situation was uh, going crazy on social media. They also released that uh, Montreal Canadiens draft pick and you say convicted sex offender? Would that be the proper term? Uh, Anyway, he... It's technically was, a sex crime in Canada, sex under crime. Canadian law. Sex crime. Yeah, yeah. A sex crime, convicted sex crime person. Uh, person convicted of a sex crime. Uh, was reinstated by the W... Or, sorry, not the WHL. Sorry, WHL for that slander. Uh, was reinstated by the Ontario Hockey League to begin playing again January 1st. Now, this was, like, somewhat expected, but the timing of it is super intentional. To, to throw that out while the World Juniors is being cancelled and everyone's focused on that. Uh, you didn't get away with it, OHL. <laughs> People noticed. The statement was so weird, too. Like they said, the programs he completed were what? Respect in sport, sport media, cultural awareness and diversity and inclusion and a few other things, which, like, I'm not disputing that those are important things to know. But there's nothing that specifically mentions women, consent, privacy, like it's it doesn't prove that he should have the privilege of continuing to play in the Ontario Hockey League, because at the end of the day, it's a privilege. You don't pay for housing. You don't pay for food. You don't pay for gear or even like transportation. You know, this is 
we unfortunately live in a world where we have decided that athletes are for some reason superior to the rest of humanity, that they deserve some sort of special right. But at the end of the day, playing your sport, playing at the level that you do, whatever level that is, is merely a privilege, which can be taken away from you at any time because it is a yes. privilege. <laughs> Especially when you do something awful. And I, I feel like part of the conversation around Logan Mayu should involve like the things that you're talking about, Mitch, should not be just him. It should be like the sport wide, right? All these kids should be understanding that I understand, you know, like hockey players get around. They do dumb stuff because they're popular kids, especially in Canada. They have things handed to them hand over fist. They do dumb things. And Logan Mayu is definitely not the only person who's done this. He's the one who got caught. And I understand uh, that people sometimes use that to defend him, but that's like the worst defense of all time. It's an indictment of more people. I think we need to expand that whole, like this talk of consent and the training of understanding not to abuse your own power to all kids in, you know, major junior sports to the entire hockey community, essentially, because we're seeing more and more now as stories come out that sexual misconduct is frankly rampant in this sport. Yeah, it it, also, it's really. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Lauren. That was, I'm just it also makes me wonder how long the OHL was sitting on that statement before releasing it. From the time they announced that he was going from the time that they announced he was suspended indefinitely, almost certainly, almost yeah. certainly. Well, you look at the the timing of their their the, when they released that statement. It was literally like less than half an hour after the, the World Juniors were canceled. Like they they were like, wait for it, wait for it now, and that's when they did it. Like it, it's ah, the OHL just proving hockey still just full of scumbags. And when when do the London Knights play next? Right, you're yeah. telling me that he only had a couple or a few days notice on. Oh, you actually get to play hockey again? No, he probably had. He probably knew in advance for a lengthy period of time. And something else that I want to mention in that statement was there, there was nothing about the victim or, or evidence that he has actually apologized to the victim, which you would think would be the lowest hanging fruit of this entire situation. Yeah. That's all she's asked for as well, by the way, like she has basically said like her only communication about this whole incident is like, want a real apology? And that's it. She wants to be done with it and move on with her life, which is completely understandable. And it seems like we haven't even got to that point yet. It's it's unfortunate. And that's why I don't believe in the whole like redemption arc situation as of yet, because you have to at least honor the victim's wishes in this situation. And I, there's just one more thing that I want to put out here. Public opinion isn't isn't, you know, like the judicial system. We don't have to think that because he got cleared of things by whatever or whoever that he suddenly deserves to be in this. We can hold the opinion that he doesn't deserve to play in the OHL because of the parameters that we have set as human beings. This is part of being in a society and other people can hold different opinions. You're wrong, but that's fine. But we, we exist in this kind of weird environment right now where people seem to think that he's being canceled. And it's like, what what consequences has he suffered other than getting fined in Sweden, getting roasted anonymously in a Swedish newspaper and missing half of a season of OHL hockey? 
Like that's very, very little in the grand scheme of things. Like if cancel culture really existed, you would think that this kid would never be able to play a hockey game again. And here he is about to step back into the Ontario Hockey League, presumably going to play top four, top pairing minutes, regular power play. He's a decent hockey player. He's going to be on highlight reels. His name's going to be everywhere. Yeah, he was canceled so hard. He got canceled so hard that he got taken in the first round in the NHL entry draft. The first round. After writing a statement that said, don't pick me. Yeah. yeah. I think the one thing I go back to, and it, and it goes back to the, the statement that they made and the one, the, the, everything that's kind of gone on around him and everything the Montreal Canadiens have said since the draft pick and everything is, is something that uh, SDPN kind of czar Adam Wilde always says is, is show us receipts. If you want to get that redemption arc, show us the receipts that you've done something. Because like Mitch said, everything that they've said that he's done has basically nothing to do with what he did which was sexually assaulting somebody or, or, or like victimizing this girl because he felt like he was in a better position than her. And he felt that he was better than her and above her. So show some receipts, show some actual remorse, do something to actually better the situation of those people in, in that situation. And, and then maybe we'll start to consider it because like Mitch said, like we're not the judicial system. So if we want to say this kid doesn't belong in the OHL, like that's more than our right. Like, and, and at the end of the day, the OHL is going to do what they do. And He's like Mitch said, he's going to play a prominent role for the for one of the biggest franchises in Canada in junior hockey. And, and at the end of the day, like that's not enough. Yeah, there's actually a, a question in the stream chat. We got a couple questions here. We'll do this one and we'll move on from Mayo a little bit. Circle back to international hockey. Uh, someone asking because I don't know much about Jeff Gordon on a personal level. But this person is asking from Luke McGrath, do any of you believe that Jeff Gordon would actually allow Mayu to compete for a spot on the Montreal Canadiens in the future? I don't know much about uh, Jeff Gordon. You know, uh, the New York Rangers had some people on there that were, you know, controversial in like Tony D'Angelo and Brendan Lemieux. But overall, I don't think that they had uh, any cases that we know of like similar to this. Um, I don't know when, it, when he was in Boston either. He was there for a very short time. I would assume that you guys know a bit more about Scott Gordon, or not Scott Gordon, sorry, Jeff Gordon, uh, being draft aficionados and him being more involved in that than I would. So feel free to weigh in. Yeah, to the extent to which it impacts, say, um, uh, I forget the word for it, rescinding your pick of a player or whatever. I, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I Maybe I'm wrong, but... Um, I think this is probably just, you know, this was the previous administration's work. We don't have the weight on us to deal with it. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any decision made on him right away. I mean, he still has after this season another year to play in the OHL since he's still eligible now. So I think they'll make a reevaluation once his OHL ability expires. Tony agrees. All right. Yeah, I've got nothing else. Yeah, it it's a tough situation because it's almost like we're just in a position now that he's being reinstated that we wait and see. We want to see the work being done. Obviously, we want to see more transparency. But, you know, I talked to Eric Angles relatively recently about this whole situation, and his opinion was, like, at this point, they've bottled it so bad from a PR perspective that giving up on the player at this point would not help them. So the goal needs to be introduce real transparency and real growth for this person so that they can not, you know, do this again, obviously, and also maybe be an example for others to not do it. 
it's kind of a no-win situation to me. <laughs> like it's like maybe they can do that. Uh, there's a new management team in Montreal now, so maybe it's a little bit different. But my experience, just uh, observing and reading and researching that organization, is over the last ten years or so, they have not been in an organization that has actively made people better people. So we'll see if the new uh, administration can do that. But we'll talk about something that was brought up by. Uh, Finn here on the stream chat a few minutes ago when we were still talking international hockey and we'll kind of close it on this because I think it's a really interesting idea and something that I saw brought up on social media yesterday as well. Are you guys for uh, a situation where they create a essential like a uh, mini international hockey expose essentially for all these tournaments that have been canceled and do them all at the same time in one giant bubble somewhere you know like with enough rinks uh have like a major like uh you can have major tv uh destination thing right like a, a major broadcast thing where you can put like the women's under 18s and the men's under 20 world juniors on at the same time they could just kind of go around different rinks different times of the day and be like a huge international hockey fest essentially you think that would be something to be worthwhile that would maybe cut down the costs as well because you're doing it all in the same bubble at the same time? I was just thinking about how good of an idea it could have been if they just moved the World Juniors to Edmonton or Red Deer and then had the under 18 champion, the women's under 18 championship play in the one that they didn't take. Because you already have the ice time booked. You already have, like, you already have, well, you, they should have had better hotels figured out. But you know what I mean? Like, they had all the logistics in place to do this. They just needed to commit to it one way or the other. So, yeah, I mean, I think I would be in favor of that. It means that you get exposure of a little bit of a little bit of everything. And the great part about this is ideally everything would be on TV. So you could easily turn on TSN and, oh, look, Canada is playing Germany at the women's under 18s, followed by Canada playing Germany at the men's under 20. So you get this greater exposure to everyone, everything. And I think overall that would be a very positive thing course i haven't done any like major research on this this is just my early impressions i feel like that sort of scenario would make too much sense for the AAHF to consider which is why it won't happen yeah like the, the thing i've been on is like a, a few times i've had people bring it up where it's like oh why don't they do one location and then they do the women's world under 18s and then the world juniors but putting everything in one one location doing it all at the same time giving everyone the same kind of exposure i, I think it'd be great like mitch said you you get the exposure for all these tournaments and, and like you said with doing kind of a couple big ranks or a couple, a couple hot spots, whether it's Edmonton red deer, whether you do a big tournament in Toronto or whatever it may be where you have all these ranks and everything, you can get some of these lower level tournaments in as well that you weren't going to, let's be honest, like they're probably not going to get the world women's world under 18. So they're probably not going to get these lower level events either. So you get the chance to get all these events in and, and maybe you don't get all of them, but out of the seven or eight that are canceled, maybe you get five or six of them in, and then you're you're feeling a lot better about this year than you were kind of going into it. Right. And well, the, I feel like doing it all at the same time. Also, you can facilitate a situation where like, yeah, you're not going to have fans likely because there's yeah. going to be a lot of restrictions because of COVID still. But you can essentially for the IHF sell like advertising packages for all of these games, like these bevy of tournaments as one big package instead of just the world juniors. So you can still make some money, maybe even more money than you thought for the little tournaments, because they're now packaged with the world juniors. And because there's no fans, you're not necessarily restricted to having to use like, uh, I always want to call it the ice palace 
in uh, in Edmonton, their their new rink. But you could play like where the Oil Kings play. You can use all these smaller rinks that maybe you wouldn't have wanted to use before because they're not there's not enough fans in there. You're not going to have fans. So as long as they have decent quality ice, which Edmonton is famous for anyway, you could do this. It'd be interesting to see if the men's U18s are supposed to be scheduled for April, May. If those go on without a hitch, then the IHF is going to take some serious heat because they canceled the women's U18s without even bothering to reschedule them at a later point. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. I feel like they, there's an opportunity here. I, this has kind of been my biggest annoyance outside of the mishandling overall. But my biggest annoyance about this whole pandemic situation has been there's an opportunity here to change the way we do things for the better. And at every turn, the people in charge have been like, the best we can do is a crappier version of what was done before. <laughs> and these these ideas that people are coming up with from the outside, like maybe it's a logistical nightmare to do a bunch of tournaments all at one time. I don't know. I've never had to handle it. So it's maybe unfair of us to bring it up and say you should do this. But I'd like to see some thought, you know, like come out here and say, like, this is some things, some ideas that we had as the International Ice Hockey Federation, you know, like throw some things out there. Let us parse through it. Show us like how much it costs to put on these tournaments. We already know how much money you're you're hoarding. It's around 40 million dollars based on the public documents. So I think we all need to see more from the IIHF before we talk about uh, this situation being resolved, essentially. Like, it's incredibly unfortunate that we're at this stage and there's no progress, essentially. Like, there's no improvements to the future. It's just like, well, I guess we're just going to have to cancel stuff and move it to a later date and we'll try this and if it doesn't work, we'll cancel again. Like, it just seems so lazy. Yeah, the word I've con- I've continued to use, whether like earlier today on the radio or in on different podcasts I've been on recently, is just neglectful. Like they've just neglected to take care of anything that they should have taken care of. They they neglected to take the precautions. They neglected to take care of the players. At, at the end of the day, the entire Hockey Canada, uh, government of Alberta, and the WHF, it's just been neglectful, and it, you see that with all all the tournaments that they've canceled. Absolutely. All right. Um, closing thoughts from everyone. We'll go. Uh, I've got you set up left to right. We'll go Mitch, Lauren, and then Tony. Anything else you need to get off your chest before we close out here on the World Juniors in 2022? No, not really. I think pretty much covered everything <laughs> in this last one. Yeah, the, the 2022 World Juniors didn't make it to 2022. No, How they sad. did not. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I have... I have a plea for whoever drafts Shane Wright this summer or next summer, I guess. If he wants to come back for the 2023 World Juniors, please send him. Oh, geez. Actually, before (laughs) we do closing thoughts, I did have a question for you guys because I was looking through. I tried to look through as quick as I can, but I'm in the middle of like brain fog exhaustion from this whole COVID garbage. I didn't see anything written or talked about, and I could have missed it. So tell me if I did. Of if this tournament gets postponed until June, what if somebody who was 19 in this tournament turns 20? Are they still eligible? They said yes. When they, they said yes? Yeah, I okay. think so, yeah. Because that would be kind of sad for, for the that kid to just like age out of the tournament because it gets postponed. But that's yeah, that's encouraging. Betty's birthday is like the January 2nd. So he would have turned 20 during the tournament. Okay. Regardless. 
Can you imagine what Cole Perfetti is going to do this tournament with an extra half a season of AHL experience? (laughs) I mean, I've seen some Jets reporters talking about uh, how he might be up with the Jets like right away because of how good he's shown. So we'll see. I mean, they're a team that's looking for a spark as well with a new coach. Uh, So I guess, yeah, closing thoughts for Tony. You got any? Uh, not really. Jesper Wallstead was fun while it lasted, I guess. That, that's really all I got. And we didn't even get to see Kosa. No. Oh, no. No. What a lost opportunity this whole thing has been. It's really unfortunate. It's sad. And for those who, you know, I, I think we've covered it a few times, but for those who are thinking that we're just sad about the World Juniors being, en- being over, we are equally sad about the uh, Women's uh, Under-18 World Championships. It's... The whole thing is extremely unfortunate and frustrating and we all want to get to a point where things are better than back to normal. It just doesn't appear like that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks everyone for joining us here today. Uh, If you like the show, please like it on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube Check out the podcast everywhere you can find podcasts. It's all over the place. Spotify, Apple Music, Google, uh, Amazon Music even. And uh, Game Over International is not dead. It's just on hiatus until probably (laughs) the Olympics. Uh, We will, at the very least, be covering the women's hockey tournament if that happens. So I will destroy my sleep schedule to make sure that this show is fantastic. We'll be bringing in experts in that field as well. and. Maybe the World Juniors in June. Who knows? And if so, I will greatly hope that I can get Mitch, Lauren, and Tony back to talk about those games as well. Thank you to all three of you for lending your expertise here. It means the world to me. And thanks to everyone for watching. Uh, Before we head off, of course, uh, Mitch, then Lauren, then Tony, tell everybody where they can find your work. Find me at Mitch L. Brown on Twitter.com. Also head to EPRingside.com. We ended up not writing a ton of World Junior stuff, just pre-World Junior stuff. I'll have a nice little recap out with David St. Louis either tonight or tomorrow. And then also go to our YouTube page and watch my video on Connor Bedard. It's worth your time. Yeah, most of my stuff is now going to be on Twitter. I think my sports my sports net writing uh, has gone a little bit on a hiatus. I don't know what's happening there. Um, we'll sort of play by ear. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at lorkelly24 um, and then EP Ringside. I will occasionally write stuff there too. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari because I'm the most important Tony Ferrari bar none. Um, and all my works at the hockey news, you can find it all there. And I have a video coming out with Connor geeky to kind of go over some game tape with him. So take your mind off the world juniors and watch that. That's fun. All right. Thanks everybody for watching game over juniors. Somebody smart hire Lauren. You're not going to regret it full time. Come on, people get on this. You're making, you're making yes. a huge mistake. <laughs> Not hiring her yet. By the end of this show, someone send her an email.